Section 15 of Modern Magic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Horan. Modern Magic by Maximilian Schell de Vere. Possession. Quote, Thereupon St. Theophilus made a pact with the devil, end quote. Acta SS, 4 February. Many forms of insanity, it is well known, are accompanied by the fixed idea that the sufferer is continually associated with another being, a friend or an enemy, a man, an animal, or a mere shadow. Somnambulists also, not infrequently, fancy that they obtain their exceptional knowledge of hidden things, not by intuition or instinct, but through the agency of a medium, whom they look upon as an angel or a demon. There is, however, a third class of cases, far more formidable than either of those mentioned, in which the mind is disturbed and magic phenomena are produced by an agency apparently entirely independent of the patient himself. Such are possession, vampirism, and zoanthropy, three frightful forms of human suffering which are fortunately very rare, being limited to certain localities in space, to a few short periods in time, and to men of the lowest grade only. Possession is that appalling state of mind which makes the patient believe that he is in the power of a foreign evil being, which has for the time full control over his body. This power it abuses by plaguing the body in every imaginable way, by distorting the features till they assume a scornful, diabolical expression, and above all by causing the sufferer to give utterance to cynical remarks and horrible blasphemy. All these phenomena are based upon the division of the patient's individuality, which cannot be remedied by any effort of his own, and which makes him look upon the evil principle in his nature as something outside of himself and no longer under his control. The phenomena which accompany possession are too fearful in their nature, and yet at the same time too exceptional to keep us altogether and easily from believing, as many thoughtful and even pious men have thought, that in these cases a real demon takes possession of the afflicted. The bitter hatred against religion, which is always a symptom of possession, would naturally tend to enforce such a presumption. The possessed know not only their own sins, but also those of the bystanders, and use this knowledge with unsparing bitterness and cruel scorn. At the same time, they feel the superiority of others with whom they may come in contact, as the demoniacs of the Bible never failed to recognize in Christ the Son of God. From the numerous cases of modern possession which have been investigated, we derive the following information as to its real nature. Possession is invariably a kind of insanity, which is accompanied by exceptional powers producing magic phenomena. It is also invariably preceded by some grave disorder or dangerous disease. The former may be of purely mental nature, for violent coercion of will, sudden and subversive nervous shocks, or long-continued enforcement of a hateful mode of life are apt to produce the sad effect. Hence its frequent occurrence in monasteries, orphan asylums, and similar institutions, 
where this kind of insanity is, moreover, liable to become epidemic. At other times, the cause is a trivial one, and then a peculiar predisposition must be presumed which only needed a decisive act to bring the disturbed mind to its extremity. But possession is not merely an affection of the mind, it is also always a disease of the body, which in the bewildered and disordered imagination of the patient becomes personified in the shape of a demon. Hence, the graver the disease, the fiercer the demon. As sickness worries the patient, robs him of his appetite, and makes all he used to like distasteful to him, so the demon also suffers no enjoyment, interferes with every pleasure, and consistently rages, especially against religion, which alone could give consolation in such cases. The outbursts of rage in demoniacs, when efforts are made to exorcise or convert them, even although nothing but prayers may be attempted, is ascribed to an instinctive repugnance of the sufferers for means which they feel to be utterly inappropriate to their case, very much as if men, mad with hunger, were to be fed with moral axioms. Possession is finally sometimes limited to parts of the body, as when a demoniac is spoken of who was dumb, Matthew 9.32, and another who was blind and dumb, Matthew 12.22. In other cases, the body is endowed with supernatural strength, and four or five powerful men have been known to be scarcely able to hold a frail girl of fifteen. A peculiar feature in possession is that during the most violent attacks of apparent fury, accompanied by hideous cries and frightful contortions, the pulse is not quickened, and the physical strength of the patient does not seem in the least diminished. The disease, however, naturally affects his whole system and exhausts it in time. The possessed man, who, unlike somnambulists, retains, during the paroxysm, full control over all his senses, never speaks of the demon that possesses him, but the demon speaks of him as of a third person, and at the same time of himself, a feature which powerfully contributes to the popular belief of actual demons dwelling in these unfortunate persons. And yet, after the paroxysm is over, the poor sufferer knows nothing of the horrible things he has done, and of the fearful words he has uttered. If he is told what has occurred, he is terribly shocked, and bitterly repents his misdoings. The paroxysms are twofold. In the body, they appear as violent convulsions, accompanied by a contraction of the throat and the globulus hystericus. Saliva forms in abundance, black coal-like lumps are thrown up, and the breath is hot and ill-smelling. In this mental form, they appear as a raging of the demon against the possessed and against religion, in fact, a struggle of the patient with himself and his former convictions. Occasionally, the good principle within him assumes, in contradistinction to the demon who personifies the evil principle, the form of a guardian angel, who comforts the poor sufferer as he is tossed to and fro like a ship in a tempest, and promises him assistance. Nor is the demon always alone. There may be, as Holy Writ teaches, seven, thousands, or their name may be legions, for these visionary beings are only so many representatives of certain evil principles at work in the soul of the possessed. Some patients have been enabled to trace this connection 
and to discover that each symptom of their disease was thus personified by a separate demon to whom in their paroxysms they ascribed the infliction. Lucifer caused pricking and stinging pains, Anzian tearing and scratching, Junian convulsions of limbs, etc. The fearful suffering which demoniacs have to undergo and the still more harassing conflicts in their soul drive them frequently to despair and engender thoughts of suicide. During these paroxysms, the struggle between light and darkness, heaven and hell, eternal bliss and damnation, angel and devil, is carried on with such energy and dramatic truthfulness that those who witness it are apt to become deeply excited and often suffer not a little from the violent transitions from sympathy to horror and from heartfelt pity to unspeakable disgust. As soon as the dualism in the soul relaxes, and with it the disease becomes milder, the demon also grows more quiet. A happy moment of rest ensues, which the exorciser calls the period of conversion. And when this has once taken place, the patient is no longer able to distinguish the demon as apart from himself. That contradistinction exists no more, and he is reconciled to his true self. There is no instance known in which an intelligent, well-educated person has become possessed. The terrible misfortune falls exclusively upon rude and coarse natures, a fact which explains the coarseness and rudeness of so-called demons. Medicinal remedies are seldom of much avail, as the disease has already reached a stage in which the mind is at least as much affected as the body. Exercising has frequently been successful, but only indirectly, through the firm faith which the sufferer still holds in his innermost heart. The great dogma that Christ has come into this world to destroy the works of the evil one has probably been inculcated into his mind from childhood up and can now begin once more, after long obscuration, to exercise its supreme power. The cure depends, however, not only on the presence of such faith, but rather on the supremacy which the idea of Christ's power gains over the idea of the devil's power. Hence the symptoms of possession not infrequently cease under a fervent invocation of the Savior, if the exerciser is able by his superior energy of will to create in the patient a firm faith in the power of the holy name. This expulsion of the demon is, of course, nothing more than the abandonment of the struggle by the evil principle in the sufferer's soul, by which the good impulses become once more dominant, and a healthy, natural state of mind and body is restored. It must, however, not be overlooked that the views of possession have changed essentially in different nations and ages. At the time of Christ's coming, the belief in actual possession, the dwelling of real demons in the body of human beings, was universal, and to this belief the language of Holy Writ naturally adapts its records of miracles. The Kabbalah, as well as the Talmud, contains full accounts of a kingdom of hell, opposed to the heavenly kingdom, with small as head of all Satanism or evil spirits, defying Jehovah. The latter are allowed to dwell upon earth side by side with the sons of Adam, and occasionally to possess them and to live in their souls as in a home of their own. 
In other cases, it was the spirit of a deceased person which condemned for sins committed during life to wander about as a demon, received permission to enter the soul of a living being. The New Testament mentions at least seven cases of possession, from the woman whose suffering was simply ascribed to the devil's agency, to Mary Magdalene, who was relieved of seven demons, and the Gadarene, who had a, quote, legion of devils. The Catholic Church also has always taught the existence of evil spirits. Doctrinal works, however, mention only one, Diabolus or Satanus. Although the Church adheres consistently to the theory of actual possession, it teaches that demons cannot wholly take possession of a human soul, but only force it to obedience or accept voluntary submission. Hence their power over the body also never becomes absolute, but is always shared with the soul of the sufferer. Among Protestants, many Orthodox believers look upon possession as a mere delusion practiced by the evil one. Others admit its existence, but attribute it to the souls of deceased persons and not to demons. This was the doctrine of the ancient Greeks, who, like the Romans, seem to have known but a few rare cases of possession which they ascribed to departed spirits. Thus, Philostratus, in his Life of Apollonius, Volume 1, Book 3, Chapter 38, mentions a young man who was for two years possessed by a demon pretending to be the spirit of a soldier killed in battle. Nearly all nations on earth have records of possession. Thus, cases occurring in China and Japan, and in the Indies, are attributed to the influence of certain deities, as the Hindus know neither a hell nor a devil. Early travelers, like Blom and Roquefort, report in like manner that in some of the islands of the Caribbean Sea, evil spirits are believed to obtain at times possession of women, and then to enable them to foretell the future. According to Ellis, the inhabitants of the Sandwich Islands were much plagued by evil spirits dwelling in some of their brethren. It was only towards the latter part of the last century that possession was found to be nothing more than a peculiar disease arising from the combination of an unsound mind with an unsound body. This discovery was first made by Farmer in England and by Semler in Germany. Since that time, the symptoms of the character of the affection have been very generally studied and thoroughly investigated. Thus, it has been discovered that similar phenomena are occasionally observed in typhus and nervous fevers. First, the patients fancy they feel somebody breathing by their side or blowing cold air upon their head. After long unconsciousness, they are apt to imagine that they are double and have been known to hesitate where to carry the spoon containing their medicine. In still more marked cases, persons who have suffered from the effects of some great calamity and have thus been brought to the verge of the grave, have even acted two different individualities, of which one was pious and the other impious, or one speaking the patient's native tongue and the other a foreign language. As they recovered, and as the return of health brought back bodily and mental strength, this dualism also ceased to be exhibited during the paroxysm, and finally disappear altogether. Possession is generally announced some time beforehand by premonitory symptoms, but the first cause is not always easily ascertained. 
when we are told that certain cases have originated in a hastily spoken word a fierce curse or an outburst of passion we only learn thus what was the first occasion on which the malady has been noticed but not what was the first cause this lies almost invariably in moral corruption the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye and the pride of the heart are by far the most frequent sources of the frightful disease occasionally a very great and sudden grief like the unexpected death of a beloved person or too great familiarity with evil thoughts in books or in conversation produce the same effect in fact all the various causes which result in insanity may produce also possession nor must serious bodily injuries be forgotten a student of the university of halle considered himself possessed and the case puzzled experienced physicians for some time till it was ascertained that he had received a violent blow upon the head which required trepanning before the operation could be undertaken however matter began to ooze out from the ear and he suddenly was relieved from the paroxysms and all thoughts of possession convents are naturally very frequently scenes of possession the inmates are either troubled by bitter remorse for sins which have led them to seek refuge in a holy place where they cannot find peace or they succumb to the rigor of severe discipline and are unable to endure the constant privation of food or sleep the sin against the holy ghost which unfortunate persons have imputed to themselves has produced many a case of possession when the mind is thus predisposed by great anguish of soul or a long-continued inward struggle the most trifling incident suffices in determining the outbreak of the disease one patient became possessed because his wife told him to go to the devil and another because he had in jest exercised a demon in a playmate now a man curses himself in a moment of passion and then a boy drinks hastily a glass of cold water when overheated and both fall victims to the disease the magic phenomena accompanying possession are by far the most remarkable within the whole range of modern magic but a number of the more striking are frequently identical with those seen in religious ecstasy demoniacs also exhibit the traces of injuries inflicted by demons as saints show the stigmas and their wounds heal as little as those of stigmatized persons they share in like manner with religious enthusiasts paroxysms during which they remain suspended in the air fly up to the ceiling or are carried to great distances without touching the ground the strength of the possessed is amazing a monk known in ecclesiastical history as brother raphael of rimini could not be bound by any ropes or chains as soon as he was left alone he broke the strongest fetters raced up the roof of the church ran along the topmost ridge and was often found sitting on the great bell to which no one else had ever been able to gain access at last the demons led him to the top of the steeple itself and were about to hurl him down as he said the abbot and his monks and an immense crowd of people assembled below and besought him to invoke the aid of their patron saint so as to save body and soul it does not appear by what miraculous influence a change was wrought in the poor man but he did raise his voice which had not been heard to address a saint for many years and instantly his mind returned 
he found his way down to the church and was cured. The most frequent symptom in possession is a strong antipathy against everything connected with religion. The holy names of God and Christ, the presence of priests, the singing of hymns, and the reciting of prayers excite intense pain and provoke outbursts of fury. Even young children manifest this aversion, especially when they have previously been forced to attend church and to engage in devotional exercises against their inclination. Hence it is also that paroxysms are most frequent at the regular hours of divine service or break forth suddenly at the sight of a procession or the hearing of ringing bells. The symptom itself arises naturally from the imaginary conflict between a good and an evil principle, the latter being continually in arms against anything that threatens to crush its own power. All the other symptoms of this fearful disease occur also in St. Vitus's dance, in catalepsy, and even in ordinary trances, only they appear more marked and make a greater impression upon bystanders because they are apparently caused by a foreign agent, the possessing demon, and not by the patient himself. As the digestive organs are in all such cases sympathetically excited and seriously affected, a desire for unnatural food is very frequent. The coarsest victuals are preferred, unwholesome, and even injurious substances are eagerly devoured, and medicines, as well as strengthening food, are vehemently rejected. The sufferer is apt to interpret this as a new plague, his demon refusing him his legitimate sustenance and compelling him to feed like an animal. One of the most remarkable historical cases of apparent possession accompanied by magic phenomena was that of Mirabeau's grandmother. Married when quite young to the old Marquis, she tried after his death to protect herself against the temptations of the world and of her own heart by ascetic devotion. In her eighty-third year, she was attacked by gout, which affected her brain, and she became insane, in a manner which, according to the views of her days, was called possession. It was found necessary to shut her up in a bare room with a pallet of straw where no one dared enter but her valet, a man seventy years old, with whom she had fallen in love. For, strange as it may appear, her fearful affliction restored to her the charms of youth, she who had been reduced to a skeleton by old age and unceasing devotion suddenly regained the plumpness of her early years her complexion became fair and rosy her eyes bright and even her hair began to grow out once more but alas her tongue also had changed once afraid to utter a word that could be misinterpreted the unruly member now sent forth speeches of incredible licentiousness and overwhelmed the old servant with terms of endearment and coarse allusions. At the same time, the retired ascetic became a violent blasphemer and would allow no one to enter her chamber who had not first denied God, threatening to kill him with her own hands if he refused. For four long years, the unfortunate lady endured her fearful affliction till death relieved her of her sufferings. But the student of history traces to her more than one of the startling features in the character of her grandson, the Mirabeau of the Revolution, Bulao Gigich twelve. Relief is generally possible only when a powerful hold has been obtained upon the mind of the patient. 
After that, appropriate remedies may be applied, and the body will be restored to its natural, healthy condition. In a few cases, remarkable incidents have produced a cure, such as the sudden clanking of chains, or a peculiarly fervent and impressive prayer. Even a night's sound sleep, induced by utter exhaustion, has had the happiest effect. It seems as if the train of thoughts once forcibly interrupted, a return to reason and an abandonment of fixed ideas become possible. Even especially violent paroxysm may be salutary, probably by means of the severe struggle and extreme excitement which it is apt to produce. Many patients, under such circumstances, fall prostrate on the ground, losing their consciousness, and awake after a while as from a dream, without being able to remember what has happened. In other cases, the hallucination continues to the last moment and leads the patient to imagine that the demon leaves him in the shape of a black shadow, a bird, or an insect. Such recoveries are almost invariably accompanied by violent efforts to discard foreign matters which have been lodged in the system and largely contributed to produce the disease. Exorcism has, of course, no direct effect, even when the power to, quote, cast out devils, unquote, Mark sixteen seventeen is given. It is not said by what means the casting out is to be accomplished, except that it must be done in the Savior's name. The formalities, carefully regulated and prescribed by many decrees of the Church since the third century, do no good except so far as they reawaken faith, impart hope, and free the mind from distressing doubts. Ignatius Loyola never cured possessed persons otherwise than by prayer. As early as the 16th century, a case is recorded clearly illustrating the true nature of exorcism. A demon was, after many fruitless attempts, at last driven out by a particle of the cross of our Savior. But in departing, he declared in a loud voice that he knew full well the nature of the piece of wood. It was cut from a gallows and not from the true cross. Nevertheless, he was forced to go because the exorcist willed it so, and the patient believed in his power. The same rule applies to cures achieved by relics. Not that these had any effect, but in the long-cherished faith of the possessed that they might and could wield such power over evil spirits. The main point is here also the energy of will in the exerciser, and that this special gift is by no means confined to men, was strikingly illustrated by a famous lady, the wife of a Marquis de la Croix, who was a Spanish general and viceroy of Galicia. In her youth, a matchless beauty with almost perfect classical features, she retained an imposing carriage and bewitching grace throughout a long life, and even old age commanded the admiration of all who came in contact with her, not only by the superiority of her mind, but also by the beauty of her eyes and the charming expression of her features. After the death of her husband, she had much to endure from neglect in the great world, from sickness and from poverty, doubly hard to bear, because standing in painful contrast to the splendor of her former life. The effects of a violent attack of sickness produced at last a partial disturbance of her mind, which showed itself in visions and the power to drive demons from the possessed. Her theory was that as the sins of men caused their diseases, 
and as the devil was the cause of all sins, sickness was invariably produced by demoniac agency. She distinguished, however, between sufferers who had voluntarily given themselves up to sin, and thus to the service of the devil, and those who had unawares fallen into his hands. Her practice was simple and safe. She employed nothing but fervent prayer and the imposition of hands, which she had moistened with holy water or oil. In the course of time she found her way to Paris, and there met, amid many skeptics, also with countless believers, some of whom belonged not only to the highest classes of society, but even to the sect of free thinkers, then prominent in the French capital. Such were Marshal Richelieu, Count Schomberg, an intimate of the famous circle meeting at Baron Holbach's house, and even the illustrious Buffon. When she was engaged in exercising, her imposing stature, her imperious eye, and commanding voice aided her at least as much as her perfect faith and striking humility, so that her patients, after a short demur, willingly looked upon her as a saint who might, if she but chose, perform miracles. With such a disposition, obedience was no longer difficult, and the remarkable lady healed all manner of diseases, from modest toothache to rabid madness. Even when she was unsuccessful, as frequently happened, she won all hearts by her marvelous gentleness and humble piety. Thus, when a possessed man was brought to her in the presence of an illustrious company, and all her efforts and prayers were fruitless, she placed herself bravely between the enraged man and her friends whom he threatened to attack. He began to foam at the mouth, and amid fearful convulsions and dread imprecations, broke out into a long series of terrible accusations against the poor lady, charging her with all her real and a host of imaginary sins, till she could hardly stand up any longer. She listened, however, with her arms folded over her bosom, and her eyes raised to heaven, and when the madman at last sank exhausted to the ground, she fell upon her knees and said to the bystanders, quote, Gentlemen, you see here a punishment ordained by God for the sins of my youth. I deserve this humiliation in your presence, and I would endure it before all Paris if I could thus make atonement for my misdeeds. Memoire de Baron de Glaichen, page one forty nine. One of the most fearful features of possession is its tendency to spread like contagion over whole communities. Many such cases are recorded in history. The monks of the convent of Quercy were thus attacked in 1491 and suffered from the oldest to the youngest during four months incredible afflictions. They ran like dogs through the fields, climbed upon trees, imitated the howling of wild beasts, spoke in unknown tongues, and foretold at the same time future events. Goers 4.2 In the year 1566, a similar malady broke out in the orphan house at Amsterdam, and seventy poor children became possessed. They also climbed up the walls and on the roofs, swallowed hairs, needles, and pieces of glass and iron, and distorted their features and their limbs in a fearful manner. What, however, made the greatest impression upon the good citizens of the town were the magic phenomena connected with their disease. They spoke to the overseer, and even to the chief magistrate of their secret affairs, made known plots hatched against the Protestants, and foretold events which happened soon after. 
in a convent of nuns at Isel in the Netherlands, a single nun, Maria de Saint, caused one of the most fearful calamities among her sisters that has ever been known. Naturally, a woman of superior mind, but carried away by evil passions, she finally succumbed to the struggle between the latter and the strict rules of her retreat. She began to accuse herself of horrible crimes and excesses. The whole country was amazed, for she had passed for a great saint, and now, of a sudden, she confessed that she had murdered numberless little children, disinterred corpses, and carried poor girls to the meeting of witches. All these misdeeds, which existed only in her disordered imagination, she ascribed to the agency of a demon by whom she was possessed, and before many weeks had passed, every nun and lay sister in the ill-fated convent was possessed in precisely the same manner. One of the most recent cases of possession is reported by Bishop Laurent of Luxembourg in a pamphlet on the subject. In the year 1843, a woman, 34 years old, was brought to him who had been possessed since her fifteenth year, and who exhibited the remarkable phenomena that in her sound moments she spoke no other language but the patois of her native place, while in her paroxysms she used Latin, French, and German at will. When the good bishop threatened the demon, the latter attacked him in return, troubling him with nightly visits, and suggesting to him sinful doubts of the existence of God and the efficacy of Christ's sacrifice. This fact shows how easily such disturbances of mind can be transferred to others, when disease or mental struggles have prepared a way. Fortunately, the bishop first mastered his own doubts, and thus strengthened, obtained the same mastery over the possessed woman. He commanded the demon to come out of her, whereupon she fell into convulsions, speaking in a disguised tone of voice, but after a while drew herself up, and now her face was once more free from anguish, and angel-like. Another bishop, who had been requested to exercise possessed persons in Morzine, in the Chablais, was not so successful. At this place, in 1837, a little girl, nine years old, in consequence of a great fright, fell into a death-like sleep, which returned daily, and lasted about fifteen minutes. A month later, another girl, eleven years old, was attacked in the same way, and soon the number of afflicted persons rose to twenty, all girls under twenty years. After a while, they declared that they were possessed by demons, and ran wild through the fields, climbed to the top of lofty trees, and fell into violent convulsions. In vain did the local priest and his vicar attempt to arrest the evil. The girls laughed them to scorn. When the civil authorities interfered, they were met with insults and blows. The guilty were fined, but the number steadily increased, and now grown women also were found in the crowd. At last the official reports reached Paris, and the minister sent the chief superintendent of insane asylums to the village. He immediately distributed all the affected among the adjoining towns and hamlets to break off the association, and sent the priest and his vicar to their superior, the Bishop of Annecy. A few only of the women recovered, several died, and one man also succumbed. Others, when they returned to Morzine, relapsed, and in 1864 the malady began to spread once more so fearfully that the Bishop of Annecy himself came to exorcise the possessed. Seventy of them were brought to the church, where the most fearful scenes took place, 
howling and yelling filled the sacred building seven or eight powerful men scarcely succeeded in bringing one possessed child to the altar and when there the demoniacs broke out in horrible blasphemies the bishop exhausted by the intense excitement and suffering from serious contusions inflicted upon him by the unfortunate women had to leave the place unable to obtain any results even as late as eighteen sixty nine two demons were solemnly exorcised upon an order from the bishop of strasbourg and with the consent of the prefect of the department the ceremony took place in the chapel of st george in the presence of the lady abbesses under the direction of the vicar-general of the diocese assisted by other dignitaries and the superior of the jesuits the two boys who were to be relieved had long been plagued with fearful visions and publicly given evidence of being possessed for quote, twenty or thirty times they had been led into a public square in the presence of large crowds and there they had pulled feathers out of a horrible monster which they saw above them in a threatening attitude these feathers they had handed to the bystanders who found that when they were burnt they left no ashes end quote when the two children were brought to the house of the sisters of charity they became clairvoyant and revealed to the good ladies although they had never seen them before their family relations their antecedents and many secrets they also spoke in unknown tongues and exhibited all the ordinary phenomena of possession the official report containing these statements and closing with their restoration to health and reason is so far trustworthy as it is signed by several hundred persons among whom the government authorities officers professors and teachers are not wanting there can be little doubt that the dancing mania which broke out repeatedly in various parts of the continent of europe was a kind of possession the facts are recorded in history the explanation only is left as a matter of discussion in thirteen seventy four when a new and magnificent church was to be consecrated in liege large numbers of people came from north germany quote, men and women possessed by demons half naked wreaths on their heads and holding each other's hands performed shameless dances in the streets the churches and houses when they fell down exhausted they had spasms and convulsions at their own request friends came and pressed violently upon their chests till they grew better their numbers soon reached thousands and other thousands joined them in holland and brabant although the priests frequently succeeded in exorcising them whenever their mind was still sound enough to recall their early reverence for holy men and their faith in holy things some time before the good people of perugia had taken it into their heads that their sins required expiation and had begun to scourge themselves publicly in the most cruel manner the romans were infected soon after and copied their example from thence the contagion spread and soon all over italy men women and children were seen inflicting upon themselves fearful punishment in order to drive out the evil spirits by whom they fancied themselves possessed noble and humble rich and poor old and young all joined the crowds which in the daytime filled squares and streets and at night under the guidance of priests marched with waving banners and blazing torches in vast armies through the land nor can we shut our eyes to the fact that the jumpers and jerkers of the methodist church present to us instances of the same mental disorder caused by over-excitement which in earlier days was called possession and that hence these aberrations also infinitely varied as they are 
according to the temper of men and the habits of the locality in which they occur must be numbered among the phenomena of modern magic end of section fifteen